Amen. Well, you can go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, man, we are um, so excited to be back, my, uh, myself, my family. Um, we had a couple weeks away, as many of you uh, know. If you don't know, um, I just had a, uh, took a little bit of an extended vacation, kind of an oddity for us. We don't um, often <laughs> leave town very, very much. And um, this, this year, we uh, took an opportunity of a wedding out in Boise. My sister got married out in Boise, Idaho. And so we took the opportunity to have a couple of weeks out there. Um, we're like, if we're going to buy seven plane tickets and fly out there, um, we're going to stay for a while, right? And so um, uh, my wife and I and our five, five kids were out there. And so uh, we had the wedding, which was great. And then we stayed around and just enjoyed all that Idaho had to offer. If you've ever been out there, um, we had finger steaks, we had fry sauce. Um, I don't think we actually had many potatoes. I don't. I know that that's kind of the thing, but um, that wasn't that wasn't really part of it. And then we um, got on the water a lot because it was um, it was pretty hot uh, while we were there. And um, if you've been following, um, I know it got like a little warm here, but it was over a hundred like the entire time we were there. And so we had a, just a great couple weeks, and then um, we came back uh, from that. And then last week I was up north, um, kind of in the north woods of Wisconsin, um, just on a, a bit of a spiritual retreat, kind of a planning week, prep week. Um, I went in there with probably way too many goals, um, but uh, just had a fantastic time. I feel refreshed and, um, you know, uh, really excited to be back. My wife, um, you can be praying for her. We didn't really think through that part of it. She was home with the kids while I was like just recouping, and we had a pretty full vacation, and so she's exhausted this morning. So if you see her, she's, um, she needs a retreat week now. Um, I feel feel fantastic. So I'm excited to be back with you and, um, and so, so glad for just the time away, the time with the Lord. And, um, you know, God has worked uh, just in my heart and, and um, just been um, showing himself to me in, in just fresh ways over these last few weeks, especially in this last week. And I'm sure many of that will come out in the weeks and months, you know, ahead as we dig into God's word uh, this morning. But, you know, one point that was um, just extremely prevalent to me um, this, this week um, that I think he just showed me is uh, how easily um, we are distracted from him and uh, how easily we can be uh, sort of pulled in so many different directions and we miss um, who he is and what he's doing and the way that he's speaking into our lives. And as we turn our attention to God's word, that's what we're doing now. Um, this is uh, what, we, what we do every week is we, we look at and we study. We wanna hear from God and his, his word. And I think one of the points that was just so prevalent is that in this place of distraction, I was reminded uh, that God has not just spoken, but he is speaking. Um, his word is alive and it's living, it's active. And so it's not just this thing that he kind of gave to us and then um, has stepped back and it's just kind of, it's this you know, sort of stale, stagnant uh, document that he's uh, left for us, but rather this is his living and active word and he is speaking into our lives through it. He's using it. Let's be clear, it's not changing, it's not shifting, it's not, um, it's not going anywhere, but it is alive and active and working. And so as we even turn our attention to God's word this morning, I was just overwhelmed, overcome with just the reminder of that. And that's been just my prayer throughout this week is, Lord, would you remind me of who you are and the way that you are still working, the way that you are still speaking? And would I be focused enough? Would I um, be centered enough to hear what you have to say and see the way uh, that you are working. So I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to dig into God's word. We're continuing in our promises series where we are going through uh, some of the Psalms and just looking at the characteristics, the character of God, the way that he's revealed himself. And more than that, the way that he has promised to us how he will act and who he is and who he will be. And so we've seen um, several promises of the Lord. So thankful for Blake and, and opening God's word for the last uh, two weeks. And this morning we wanna continue and we wanna look at this promise. It's this, that God is always good. God is always good. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Psalm 27. That's where we're going to be this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to use one of ours. You can find them if you're here in the room underneath one of the seats in front of you. If you're home and you don't have a Bible, get a Bible, download one. I'd love for you to see this for yourself. And so you can open up to Psalm 27 and follow along and see what we are looking at this morning as we study and understand. But one of the things that we are going to see in this Psalm is this, is that God is always good. And even in saying that, I think we would probably, if we're honest with ourselves, 
If there's one characteristic, one promise, one thing that God has and he's given to us, it might, we have a tendency to doubt, it might be this promise right here. I think sometimes we have a tendency to doubt that God truly is always good. We might cognitively know that, but when we find ourselves in certain situations or at certain times, we're like, God, how can your goodness be working in and through this right now? And that is probably one of the most prevalent um, things that those would attack or, or doubt the very existence of God uh, might call into question, right? The common um, argument that I've heard as I've interacted with people in my life is that if God is all-powerful and if he is all-knowing, then how can you explain how evil exists in the world? The conclusion must be that if he's all-powerful, if he's all-knowing, then he must not be good. So if he exists, he cannot be good because how, how could this exist? How does this happen? And we're not gonna unpack all of that. Um, that is certainly, um, you know, the pages of scripture speak to that and point to that and answer that question. That is a fine question to ask, but I think we have a tendency to doubt his goodness. And the way that it usually goes is this, is if God was good, then this, fill in the blank, would not happen. If God was good, this would would not happen. Or we say it this way, if God was good, then this for sure would happen. If God's goodness was, was if he is good and he is working, then, then for sure he would act in this way. And in that moment, we place ourselves in the judgment seat and we are looking at God and we're judging and saying, listen, God, I don't think that your goodness is at work here. I don't see how it possibly could be. And I think at that point, even as we dig into the psalm, we're reminded that we need to place ourselves in the proper spot and acknowledge something. I think we would all, if we're honest, we could acknowledge that we have limited perspective on our life, right? On the situations that we can see. Uh, there's only certain parts and certain pieces and we do not have all knowledge. Uh, we also do not have all um, <laughs> wisdom, um, we can probably speak to many times and we've made poor decisions or poor choices or we thought it was this way and then it turned out, oh man, maybe it shouldn't have been that way or should have gone this way. And so even in our logic and our understanding, we would point to our flaws. I think we need to be very careful as we approach God and his goodness to then kind of put this, uh, this, this standard that we would have on him. And so what we want to do is just as we approach this psalm this morning, Psalm 27, is we want to have this posture about us that we would come uh, with our doubts. It's okay to doubt. We said a couple weeks ago that fear is to never be in the life of the believer. We're called always out of fear. There's never a place where fear is to be present. However, we see places where doubt exists, but we're called to move from that doubt. At times, doubt is good, Right? You can doubt the information that I might give you. If I told you that finger steaks were really good, you might doubt that, all right? And you should. They weren't that great, okay? So don't go to Idaho for the finger steaks. There's plenty of other reasons. Don't go for that. Don't tell my brother-in-law, my new brother-in-law that. He loves them. He thinks they're fantastic. I doubt everything about his taste of food now. And so I just, I, and it's right. It should. He's proven himself a couple times. He said things are good, and it's, it hasn't always been that way. So I now doubt if he says, oh, you should try that. I don't. I don't know if it's true, right? At times, doubt is good. But here's the thing. When it comes to the Lord, we need to understand and have these promises that we are firmly rooted upon and that we wouldn't doubt his goodness, that we would move to a place of confidence. And that's what we're gonna see in this psalm this morning. The structure is this. Let me kind of give you the structure. It's always helpful when you're studying psalms to understand um, how they're laid out because there's, there's usually some sort of kind of movement through it. And the, this, this structure, what I would say, is, is sort of humble supplication sandwiched between two expressions of confident declaration, okay? So technically, there's kind of two separate statements of humble supplication. So what I would say is this. The structure is this. Verses one through three, is confident declaration. Okay, that's the top piece of bread. And then you have the meat of the sandwich is humble supplication, four through six, humble supplication, seven through 12. And then that bottom piece of bread is confident declaration, verses 13 and 14. And so we see this confident declaration with humble supplication, fancy word for asking, right? The psalmist is asking of the Lord something. 
And he gets to this confident, this confident declaration lands in verse 13 in a place where he says this. Let me actually put this verse before us. It says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I just want to kind of start there. I want to start with the end this morning and say this is where the psalmist is building to. The psalmist is David. It is of King David. It's written by David. We have no other context than that. We just know that it was King David who wrote it. But he gets to this place and he makes this declaration in verse 13 that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is a confident declaration. I think it's helpful to know where we're going. So as we walk through and we see the doubt and the um, danger and the uh, difficulty that David is facing and that he's questioning here, we know where he's going to land. He's going to come back to this confident declaration of the goodness of God. And this is how we get there. How do we get to a confidence in the goodness of God? Well, we see and we believe. We don't have time to unpack it this morning, but how many times could we look to and we could see that faith comes through seeing and believing the word and working of God? How many times does God show himself and make himself known? He says, look and see and then believe. And that's what we see here. I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and thus understanding that that then by seeing it, by looking upon it, that it leads us to faith and believing it. And so that's what we want to see this morning is that faith comes through seeing the work of God. And so here's kind of the big idea that I think all of this is pointing to in this psalm this morning is this, is that because God is always good, because he's always good, I can move from doubt to confidence. I can make this movement from doubt the doubting of his goodness, the doubting of his presence, the doubting of his working, because of his goodness, I can move from doubt to confidence in my life. And how we get there is we look upon the goodness. And so this is what I think the psalm has for us this morning. It's this. We're going to see four places that we need to look to to see God's goodness. And so we have four pictures, and they are kind of woven in throughout, but they're sort of, we see them prevalently in these four sections. And so we're going to look and we're going to see God's goodness in four places. Are we ready? Let me just pray as we get into God's word this morning and let's walk our way through this psalm this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your display of goodness in our life. God, the way that you have made yourself known. And as we've already said, God, we believe that this word is living and active. And so we want you to work and to lead us now as we approach your word. And for those here this morning that would maybe even doubt that, doubt that this is a living and active word from you, Lord, would you just reveal that to us this morning? Would you show us that? That in our doubt, Lord, would you meet us here in this place of doubt and would you lead us to a place of confidence in who you are? God, I pray that you would teach us now as we look at your word. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. All right, well, let me um, read through just the first few verses, and then we're going to kind of walk our way through this psalm. Uh, here's what we see in verse 1 of chapter, uh, Psalm 27. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Though an an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Here's the first place that we see God's goodness this morning. It's this, is that God's goodness is seen in his protection. We can look and we can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living in his protection for his people. Let's look back at verse one. David begins, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? He sort of uses these three pictures here, this light, this salvation, stronghold, all attributing this to who God is. And it results in this, a lack of fear, a reason to not fear. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Because God is this, whom shall I fear? I just want to zero in on light. I love the picture of light. You see it throughout the scriptures. 
this picture that David uses here, because the Lord is my light, whom shall I fear? I think it's always helpful to understand what light is and what it isn't, right? Light casts out the darkness. It doesn't work the other way. So darkness is actually the absence of light. And if you think about the difference between light and darkness, we've talked about this before. This is a concept, again, throughout Scripture. But darkness oftentimes will lead to fear in our lives. If we're honest, this isn't just a little kid thing, okay? Right? Like darkness leads to fear. Now, you might not be afraid of the dark in your room, right? Because why? You're secure. You have a locked door. You, have, you live in a place that maybe you're, you're not afraid. And so um, when you're a kid, you don't have that same security. I remember when I, remember when I was a kid, I, I, I slept with a, a nightlight way longer than I'd like to admit, okay? I was terrified. I was terrified of the dark. Why? Because I thought when the dark came and I couldn't see, I, I doubted my security in that moment. I couldn't see what was happening. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I thought, you know, maybe there's monsters in the closet, under the bed, whatever it might be, right? And then I came to um, not be afraid of the dark at night. In fact, I want the darkness. Um, the room I was in this week had this little light and I like figured out ways. I was like, I'm plugging, I'm covering things. I'm trying to like, how do I get this light out of here? I want this thing as dark as it can possibly be. When I sleep, I want it to be pitch black. No light at all. Why? In a place of security, in confidence, that's the case. I don't know how many of you have watched this show alone. Any of you, anybody? Man, our small group got into alone. We, we, um, <laughs> a bunch of us started watching it and we were kind of talking about this. And, and um, if you've ever watched it, uh, you know that uh, what happens, these, these guys, these ladies get dropped off in the middle of nowhere and with very little supplies, nothing um, really um, other than some few things they're carrying on their person and they are totally alone. And when darkness falls... I'll tell you, they don't have the same appreciation of darkness that they do when they're at home, in their room, in their bed, all right? The darkness is when all of the scary scenes happen and they have that crazy, you know, that, that, that um, infrared light and they kind of use all that. They film this whole thing, but that's when the bears come out. That's when the coyotes come out. That's when all the creeping, you know, like squirrels seem extremely dangerous, right? In the middle of the night when it is dark. I was hiking in the woods this week and I thought something was like chasing me and I turned around and there's this little squirrel and I'm like, how are you making so much noise? Like it is, it is amazing when you can't see what your mind fills in, right? So this, this like thought between this light and darkness and, and in the darkness there is fear. David uses this point to illustrate something. He says, listen, God, the Lord, Yahweh, he's my light and my salvation and so in his presence, darkness, the uncertainty, the insecurity is cast out, right? Light shines into the darkness. You cannot make, you cannot shine or cast darkness upon something. You can block light, but there's no way to like shine darkness or to cast darkness. It's the absence of light. And so God in his presence casts out all darkness. There is nothing that can overcome him. He is our light he goes on to say why this is so important. Clearly, he's in a place of, of attack, of um, uncertainty. Uh, he is um, being pursued by his enemies. It says this in verse two, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. How much is the light of God shining on his heart in that statement? He understands that even in this place of darkness and difficulty, it is ultimately the enemies, the foes, the adversaries. It is they who are stumbling and they who are falling. They are living in darkness. They are doing things against the Lord. It is they who are in danger, not him. And so that's why with confidence, he can declare in verse three, though an enemy, though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David, in seeing God as light, as salvation, as stronghold, is able to move from a place of doubting to confidence. He can say, my heart shall not fear, yet I will be confident. And here's the thing that we have to understand, church, is that we can look to God and his protection over our life as a place of display of his goodness. There is no reason that you and I have to fear in the midst of danger, of difficulty, 
of attack from enemies or the enemy. Why? Because of the protection of God. In the same way that you and I are not afraid of the dark today, I hope, I hope, I hope that you're not afraid of the dark still. You probably are still afraid of the dark when there's not security. But when there's, you're in a secure place, when you're in a place where there's protection, then there is no fear of the dark in the same way David felt secure, protected in the presence and the power of God and his working. Why is this important for us today? We need to understand that God in his goodness can provide protection and does provide protection for us. Certainly, he has the ability to protect us physically. How many of you would point to different situations, times in your life when you had like a near miss, right? Like near, like that could have been bad. Those of you who have been in accidents, those of you who have experienced things, you're like, I don't know how that happened. I've talked to some of you, I've heard the stories and, and, and you're like, I must have crushed my guardian angel. Like God, God used his angels to protect me in that situation because I don't know how I walked away from that alive. God at times does protect spiritually or physically. He can protect us in our physical being. It's not always, obviously, right? We face pain, we face death, we face, it's not this um, promise of physical protection at all times and all places, but he does. He does provide physical protection and hopefully we see that and we recognize times when God clearly is at work. Other times God is working to provide protection for us emotionally. These promises for us can be emotional security for us, when we might move to a place of doubt, of insecurity, of anger, of frustration, of fear, we come back to this place of God's promises and we find protection for our minds, for our hearts, for our souls in understanding that God provides emotional protection for us. We do not move to this place of fear or of doubt. We can move to a place of confidence and of trust and lack of fear. And spiritually, certainly, God provides protection for us. He is drawing us, calling us to himself. He is wooing and working in our life. I was reminded just afresh of that this week, of God's constant working and calling and drawing us toward himself. He's providing protection for us spiritually. And so this morning, would we look and would we see, would we be able to recognize the places that God is actively protecting? Listen, we might not be in the same place as David, right? I don't think any of us have an army encamped around us, a war that's being raged against us, but we certainly, spiritually speaking, are at war. Emotionally speaking, even with our own self in relationships, in the things that we encounter physically, there are dangers all around us and God is working to sustain and to protect us. Let's recognize, let's see that, let's acknowledge that this morning. Let's look to his protection as a place that we would see his goodness. The psalmist continues, David continues here and he says this in verse four. He says, one thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord." The first place that we see God's goodness is in his protection. The second place that we see God's goodness is here in his presence. God's goodness is seen in his presence. Again, David says, one thing, right? One thing have I asked for. One thing will I seek after. We have to understand what the language is communicating there. It's not some like meandering and sort of hoping I stumble upon. This is like an intentional pursuit this is, this is like near obsession. What David is saying here is like, I am obsessed with this one thing. Like this is the only thing that I am, I have laser focus, laser intentionality. I'm going after this. What, what is it? This one thing that I've asked of the Lord that I would dwell in his house all the days of my life. Why does he wanna be in the house of the Lord? Well, that is where the presence of the Lord is seen and experienced and known. 
We've said before, we said this a couple weeks ago, that, that God is everywhere, right? But he is not everywhere, working everywhere in the same way. His manifest presence is seen in places. And so David desires to be in the house of the Lord. In our timeline, we might um, kind of do some math and understand here, wait a second, the temple was not built yet. His son built the temple. So he's not speaking necessarily to Solomon's temple, but that temple is referring to the house of the Lord, the tabernacle, the, the place where God was worshiped and sacrificed and, and his glory was seen. And so he wants to be in the presence of the Lord. And he uses this very personal name, right? Some of you probably um, see this, maybe you already know this, but every time that our English Bible uses the capital letters for the word Lord, it's trying to indicate to us that that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the personal name of the Lord. It's, it, it indicates and shows intimacy and relationship and presence and connection. And here, three times in verse four, he uses it. One thing I've asked of the Lord, Yahweh, right? That I may dwell in the house of Yahweh to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh. There is this personal relationship. He's already used the word, the, the word Yahweh once in, in verse one. And so there is this presence, this connection with the Lord. And so his goodness is seen in his presence. He desires to be with and near the person of God. That is who he is after. Why? Well, it kind of goes back to the first point. In his presence, in his person, we do, we find the protection that he is looking for, right? He is in danger. In his presence, look at verse five. He will hide me in his, sh in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. When I am near him, I am under his protection. I am under his cover. More than that, he will lift me up upon a high rock. I love this picture of lifting up upon a high rock. Um, you know, I said when we were in Idaho, we had the opportunity to do all that Idaho had to offer. Um, this was like, so my wife and, and our, my family, we, our two families do vacation very differently, okay? And so we've just sort of adopted like a hybrid model. Um, sometimes um, we do like vacation her way. Um, this was an example of doing vacation my way, all right? And so when we were in Idaho, we crammed it full of everything. Like we just, every day was like, we're doing something. We're going like morning to night. Like we would do something in the morning. We do something in the afternoon, do something in the evening. Like we came back exhausted, right? And then I left for a week. Um, and so uh, when we were out there, we, we tried to do, and it was hot, right? So we got on the water many times. We were kayaking, we were tubing, we were rafting, we we're doing all of that. And we had this little kind of tubing experience. We went down the Boise River, which is more of like a float, you know, it's not, not too exciting. Um, you know, the water gets like quick just a little bit, and then it doesn't really do that again for a while. And so um, our oldest, Ellie, she was like that. Like we went over a couple like tiny little rapids, like nothing that could do too much damage although we did manage, just full disclosure, to get stuck <laughs> on the Boise at one point in time. Um, and people are like, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I, I don't know. But she was all about, she's like, I wanna do more of that. Like, I want, I want more. And I'm like, well, there's something called whitewater raft. She's like, what's whitewater? And I'm like, well, when the water's kind of crazy, it gets white, right? And, and, and we can do this. And so we went whitewater rafting, um, not once, but twice. Um, we, we just were like, we're here. We, we, we have the opportunity. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And so we went on some more significant rapids, which was just um, Ellie, myself, and my parents. And then we had like a family day. I have a picture here of, uh, this is us on the... Um, um, rapids here. So these are our four girls. Levi was a little small to kind of make the trip. Um, these were class two, class three rapids. And, um, and you can see we are having fun. Um, our guide was um, super uh, knowledgeable of the river, right? There was like full confidence and trust in uh, the place that we were in. And we are just kind of like cruising down and just enjoying all of that. If you've never been whitewater rafting, it is so fun. Um, love it. It's, it's, it's great. Um, but here's the thing is that all of that white water is caused by rocks underneath the water, right? And, and just the shapes and the way that the water is moving over, it creates all sorts of craziness. And it is, if you don't know what you're doing, it can be extremely dangerous. And if you're not in a raft, um, certainly, you know, danger is prevalent. But then some of those rocks actually stick out of the water. They, they rise up and you can climb on them, you can get on them, or you can stand on the side. And it's a totally different situation, right? To be out of the water, on the rock, in a place of security, safety, above everything. This is sort of the picture. This is the picture that David is using here of the presence of God and what it provides. 
When we are with the Lord, when we are in his presence, this is what he does and has promised to do to us is that he will lift us high upon a rock to place us in a place of security, to place us in a place of protection, to place us even further than that in a place of exaltation. It's a place of prominence. It's a place of love and his tenderness and care. Look what it says in verse six. He says, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. So on this high rock, I am exalted in the Lord and through the Lord. Like I'm placed in this place of prominence. Who am I, Lord, that you would push me in this place? But there's security, there's safety, there's, there is exaltation there. And I will, my response is this, that I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So here we see that God's presence does a couple things for us. One is it provides that protection that we are looking for, right? God's presence is the place that we find his protection. But the other thing about his presence is in his presence, we are led to a place of praise. It is a right and good response. Every time, every time you see in scripture where God's glory is seen, where his presence is made known, where his presence is experienced, God's people respond in the same way right? It's that of worship. They fall on their face. They get low before the Lord. They humbly acknowledge and they express praise to God for who he is. And David is doing the same thing. Because of his presence, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make melody to the Lord. I said it early in our service. I want to say it again, is that when we are in the presence of the Lord, we result in praise to God. That is why we gather in this place each and every week. Our first day of the week, right? Our Sunday is the way that we begin in this place. And we come into this place to worship and to pour out praise. That is the primary reason, the most important reason, really, if anything else went away, this is what needs to last, is that we gather to give praise to God for who he is and what he's done and to be in his presence. We don't have to come here to this place to experience the presence of the Lord, but many of you can attest to and say that when you're here, you see and know and recognize and experience the presence of the Lord in the people, with the people of God, in this place of God that we would focus and remind ourselves and then respond to him of who he is. And so we see the goodness of God in his presence. And would this be just a reminder for us this morning? Would we be seeking after God himself, right? Would our love, would our desire, would our seeking be for the person of God? See, our relationship with God is very personal. He is a living God. He is three persons in one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He has made us in a way that we can interact with him. Our personality interacting with his Right, his character, who he is. And so let's just be super clear about this, is that our relationship is not with a worldview, okay? We do not come here and gather so that we can kind of gather around a worldview, right? We do not have a relationship with a book. As great as the Bible is, and as much power as it has, the power lies in the fact that it is the living and active word of God. It's the way that he has spread. So this book is only powerful in so much as it comes and flows from him and that it is him and it points us to him, the person of God. Our belief and our relationship is not with just a concept or an idea of God. We're not gathered here to sing about some higher power or some greater being or some lofty thought, right? That we can kind of assign to whatever we have. Our belief and our relationship is not even in a set of beliefs, Right? Our doctrine and the things that we would hold to, the foundation that we stand upon, our relationship is not with a code of conduct and the way that we live and the things that we do and the things that we don't do. Right? That does not define our relationship with God as the things that we choose to do, and it certainly is not a religious system. Listen, church, our relationship is with the person of God. That is where we see his goodness. And so would this be our desire? Would we say like David, one thing, one thing I've asked for, one thing I'm seeking after, one thing I long for is that I would be in the presence of the Lord, that we would seek after him and who he is and that we would know him greater, the person of God. See, that was a reminder for me this morning and this week 
is that I was reminded that so many times I chafed after all these peripheral things, doing the work of the Lord, being with God's people, doing these things, like, and I forget that, wait, God's like, hey, I'm right here, right? I am who you are after. I'm who your relationship is with. I am where the power is. I am where the protection is. I am where this love is found, is here in my presence. And so would we seek after the very person of God and he has made himself known to us. I think I was reminded again that it almost sounds too easy. He has made himself available to us. We have but to look and to see and to believe and to know the very presence of God. And so we come into the house of the Lord, not as a religious experience, but because this is where God's presence is seen. And this is the reason and the way that we gather to pour out praise to him. We respond, as David did, with offering in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And we sing and we make melody to the very person of God. And he says it there again, Yahweh. I will sing and I will make melody to Yahweh. We see God's goodness in his person in his presence, in being with him. Let's continue on. Let's look at verse seven. Follow along. It says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path. Because of my enemies, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me and they breathe out violence. Here's the third place that we see the goodness of God. It's this, we see God's goodness in his provision. In his provision, God has and is providing for his people. Notice um, the way that David says it here. I love it. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. He declares, he speaks back a promise or rather a call that God has given to him. This is always a good thing to recount, right? If God has said it, you can say to God, yeah, God, you said, right? You said this. And he says to God, he says, you have said, seek my face. God, you told me. You told me to seek your face. You told me to seek after your presence. And look at my heart is doing that. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. He's like, you said to seek me. I'm listening to you. I'm doing what you've said. Now, what are you gonna do, God? And this is the response here. He says, look, he says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, oh my God, of my salvation. Right, he's like, I am seeking after you, God, so how are you gonna respond? He's like, don't run away, don't hide yourself, don't cast me off, don't flee from me, don't, don't put any distance between me. But what does he say? He ends here, he says, for my father, my mother forsaken me, which we don't, I don't think this is literal, I don't think he's actually been abandoned by his parents. That's tragic, that's horrible. Some of you have faced maybe abandonment or a broken relationship with your mother or your father. That happens. We are so fickle. We are so, um, we, we, we damage and destroy relationships in our life. But he says, my father, my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. What he's saying is one of the most significant relationships that you can have, that between a mother and her son or daughter, that between a father and a son or daughter is broken, yet Lord, you are still there. It says, seek after me. I'm doing that. Lord, you will take me in. There's this confidence of God's provision in David's life. He knows that God will provide. How will he provide? We'll provide by teaching and leading. That's instruction and guidance. He says in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Just to unpack that level path a bit, um, that's not level because it's easy, it's level because it provides progress. Right? If you've ever been hiking, camping, um, you know, try to make your way through the woods, a level path, you can move way further and quicker in that way. So he's asking not for ease, not for comfort, but for progress. He wants God to instruct him, to lead him, 
to give guidance to him on a level path that he would have progress in his pursuit of God. Why? Because his enemies are near, right? The adversaries, the false witnesses, they're breathing out violence, they're raising against, they're, they're going after him. And he's like, God, I need your provision. I need you to provide the way of escape, the way of progress, the presence to do just that. And we'll be reminded at this point of God's provision of new life and the promise of new life for us. You know, the reason that we um, can point to and look to and know that God is going to give us good things is because he's already given us the greatest thing that he could possibly give, his son, right? It says that he did not spare his own son. Rather, he gave him up for us. God sent his son on our behalf that the debt that you and I owed, the, the, uh, the bankruptcy that you and I were in, spiritually speaking, could be paid in full by Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection applied to our account on our behalf. He has already given up his son for us. So how would he then hold off anything else? I read so much this week and, and listened to so much this week and kind of, you know, just I was studying and, and just spending time. So I, I would love to attribute where this illustration comes to. I honestly cannot remember where I read it, okay? So it's just in there and I have it. If some of you know who it is, I'll, I'll do it in the second service. But um, one, one illustration that I, I read and, and, and you know, reminded me of this is it's like a son uh, gets to the end of college and his dad has paid his whole way through, right? Tuition has been covered. What a great gift, right? Son's had, like he, he's, he's, he's made it all the way through, all the tuitions, and he gets to, and he's like, dad, I can't graduate. Why? Well, I, I still owe 20 bucks for this book. It's like, I've already given you all of, like, I can take care of that right now, all right? Like, let's get this done, right? Like, what dad is gonna be like, sorry, I'm cutting you off. I don't have any more, right? He's like, we can get this done. Like, let's just get this done. Like, I can, I can do that. And I think the point is this, is that God in his goodness to us has already provided eternal life, forgiveness, a re restored relationship with him. He's already provided all of this. And so who is he to then withhold and say, well, you're cut off. I've already given you too much right? God is so good. He provides for us in so many ways. David, with confidence, is asking, God, would you provide progress in my life? Would you provide protection from my enemies? Would you provide your presence for me? Would you provide in this way? And let's be very clear here, right? God is not some cosmic vending machine that we just put the quarter in and get out whatever we want, right? That's not what he's saying, but he's saying that God is working and providing in our life. It might not always be what we want, but God provides what we need. He does. He does. And eternally, and speaking, you know, eternally looking beyond this world, we will have everything. And we do have everything we need in God. Would that be the posture that you and I understand, right? Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything that you and I need. We need nothing more than Jesus Christ. And in him, we find all the provision that we need. In him and his person and his relationship and, and, the, and the, the, what he has to offer, everything is found in him. Would this be the posture of our hearts that we wouldn't seek to have Jesus and something else, and our career, and our house, and our family, and our relationship, and our college degree, and our whatever, fill in the blank. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus plus nothing, and we can be content. We can see his goodness in him. He has provided his own son for us. He's provided new life for us, which is what leads then to this confident declaration in verses 13 and 14, and he says, even in this place, again, of great difficulty. Do you get the sense of this yet? Do you see David? He is, his life is in danger. He is up against the wall. Things are not in a good spot for him. Yet, he can say in verse 13, what we've already looked at, let's look at it again. He says this, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David is there both speaking to his heart and to ours. He's saying to us in this moment, God is calling out to us. He's saying, wait for me. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The last place, the fourth place that we see God's goodness in our life is in his promises. It's in his promises. God has promised many things. And if he said it, he will do it, right? If he's promised it, it's going to come to pass. Why? Because he's able, he never forgets, he's good. There's all these reasons that we can count on his promises. And so we see God's goodness in his promises. And what David is counting on here is this, is a promise that God in his very essence is good. There is nothing about God that is bad. There is nothing about him that is evil. There is nothing that comes anything short or close to full goodness. He is good, He is good. And so that is why he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. Now, that last part is so important. He's not saying some future declaration. This is a declaration for right now. Where does he see the goodness of the Lord? What does it say? You can raise up your voice and answer. What does it say? Where does he see it? In the land of the living. He says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's now, that's here. That's not someday, that's not like off in the skies and in some other place. This is here and now, Lord, in my life, I believe this. I'm confident of this, that because you are good, I will see your goodness here in the land of the living. I will see it in my life now. And so therefore, because of your promises, I can confidently say that I will wait for you. I will wait for you. I will be strong. I will take courage. I will wait for you because I know that your promises are sure and that you will do what you have said you will do. I love that he uses this language here, that that be strong and courageous. If you have spent time in God's word, you may hear that verse from, or that words from many other places. We see it actually several times. And it's often used right before an army uh, goes into battle. But the most prevalent that I think of is Joshua before the people, right? As they were ready to go into the promised land, Right? He was leading God's people into the promised land. And he says, take courage. He says, be strong, be courageous. Why? Because God has given us this land. We can take confidence in this. We are going into his promise and what he has said. And so because his promises are not just for future, but they're here and now, we can wait. We can wait upon the Lord. And this hopefully is a great reminder to us this morning. You might be in a place like David where you feel like you have the enemies raging against you. You might be, actually have like some enemies against you. You might spiritually be feeling the attack of the enemy. You might be doing battle with your own mind and your own will. And you're like, why am I the one that I'm fighting against here? You might be like that picture and you feel like you're in this place of of raging rapids and uncertainty and chaos around you. But you can with confidence say, I will wait for the Lord knowing that he will do what he has said he will do, we can take confidence in this. This is where we see God's goodness. We see it in his promises. That's why we want to look at that this summer. That's why we're going through these Psalms is to be reminded. And as we see each promise that it would be like, yes, God, you are good. You are good. You are good. I see that in the promises of who you have who you are and what you've said that you will do. I'd love to just kind of end with this picture for you. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, when he, um, he wrote of this, uh, he had an experience where he walked into, it was inside um, a potter's shed, and um, he, he tells of the, you know, being inside this, this rickety kind of old building and, and in this darkness, right? But the light, was shining bright outside. The sun was high in the sky and, and, and the, 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 the light was shining through. And what he recognized in this kind of point hit him is that the way that he's inside the darkness, his interaction with the light was very different because what he saw was these like glimpses, right? These glimmers kind of coming through these streams of light and they were probably hitting the dust and, and you know, lighting the floor and, and he saw the light kind of coming through and he had different places and, 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 and images of, God, of this, this light that he was seeing in the midst of darkness. And I think for some of us, and if you're not there, you will be probably someday, this is how we see and interact with God's goodness. We're in a place of darkness 
where it seems very dark around us. And not everything is illuminated. Not everything is made sense. Not everything is super fun. But we see these glimpses. We see these pictures of the light, our salvation, our stronghold shining through. And the way that we interact with it and we see it is an encouragement of the truth of that is this is that he knew that just outside of the darkness, if he was to step out of the shed, that the full light would be visible and seen. And that is the promise that awaits all of God's children, all that would call on the name of the Lord. You have but to see and believe Jesus Christ, to trust him for the salvation of your sins and for your eternity, and this would be true of you, is that someday you will see God in his glory. He's going to make himself known and seen to us in a way that we have not seen. We will see his light shining. And it's too strong for us, but it says that he will light up. There will be no need for the sun because he will light up the eternities, right? He will light up the heavens. He will light up everything because his light will be so clearly seen. Would that be a reminder for us in whatever place we're in this morning that we might be in that place of darkness? We might see these glimpses, these pictures, Would these even, his protection, his presence, his provision, his promises, would those be like these little beams that we're seeing, that we're pointing onto, that we're holding onto, knowing that no darkness can come against the light. No darkness can come against God. He will make himself known and seen, and we will worship him in the fullness of his splendor someday. And we have but to look forward to and hold onto that day. Our God is so Good. We need not doubt, right? We can have confidence even in these little glimpses, these slits of light that we see shining through into the darkness of our life right now. Let's pray. God, we thank you. And we declare that you are good. And God, I wouldn't stand up here and claim to know and understand how you are working in every situation. And when some, um, the things that we encounter, the situations that we walk through, God, the experiences that we have might speak to and, and, and tempt our heart to doubt your goodness. God, would you remind us afresh that you are good. And God, that you are working, that you are showing your goodness. There is no lack of goodness in you. And God, would we look for and see the glimpses, the, 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 the uh, rays of goodness all around us. God, I thank you for um, just your provision in our life, the way that you've provided um, your son. God, and we are so thankful. And so we point to those things. God, we look to the way that you have made yourself known, the way that you have worked, the way that you are still working. And God, we give you thanks for that this morning. God, we declare your goodness in this place. In whatever spot we might be in this morning, would you lead our hearts to say, right, as we've already sung, we can say, with confidence, God, that you are good, that you are powerful, God, that you are working, that you are with me, that you are here, God, that you are our shepherd, God, that you are a dwelling place. Lord, we have confidence in you and in your goodness. And so, God, we declare that this morning. Lead our hearts to worship. God, lead our hearts to praise. Would we trust you We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.